<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each week, well, this isn't a typical week. This is our two-year anniversary episode, and we are doing things a little bit differently this time. We have a whole group of audience people. There's 12 of you right now in the audience listening, and and hopefully uh, this will be just a, a fun experiment. Yeah. Super, and you can hear the trains go by my house live. It's very exciting for everyone. You can really see how glamorous it is to be a podcaster. So glamorous. But it, it's so funny because when we first started recording, I was in a different apartment mm. where the smoke alarm went off all the time. <laughs> we didn't have my good microphones. And it's so funny to see where we are now 
two years later, finally knowing how to edit things and having moved to different places, both of us. Yeah. Like, it's so cool. What's what's wild is I went back to re-edit our first episode um, because I I realized back then that when we put it out there, like, that episode still gets downloads. It's an introduction to the show. And so I was like, maybe I should go back and, you know, touch it up a bit. And when I was doing that, I realized, like, just how far we've come we didn't understand noise levels we didn't understand any of that kind of stuff we were just editing through the software that came with the recording studio and it was not good so if you go back you can listen to that episode again and it'll sound a little bit better but what i found when we did that when we talked about the movies that we'd recently saw both of us had seen a movie that we ended up talking to the director about later and that's to me is wild that's wild to me because it was it was the vigil it was right after t- yeah, it was the vigil and then also Synchronic. Synchronic. Mm-hmm. The Endless. That was the movie before that. And then we ta- we've we talked to Keith Thomas about Phenomena. And then we talked to Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead about X-Files and yeah. Home. Like, how cool is that that we started this off and we're like, we like movies and went to a film festival. One day maybe we'll talk to these people and, like, we're getting to interview them regularly. Like, it's just so cool. It's wild. It's just so wild. <laughs> It's really uh, wild because, like, I know I never thought, like, never thought I'd be able to talk to people like that, or they would be interested in coming on to a podcast. I also never thought I'd be a podcaster. <laughs> I was like, "There's no. no way I'm ever gonna have a podcast," and I have two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's bonkers. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's it's crazy, but and it's wild to think like two years feels like no time at all, and also forever, just in terms of like where we have both come from and been in, like, two years. It's crazy. And we started this podcast right after I moved back from Chicago. Yeah. And I had just gotten a new job, and I was, like, figuring out my life post-master's degree. And it's, like, it's such a – I always forget that, like, a lot of my growth professionally as a writer has come alongside the podcast a lot. And that makes me very happy. Yeah, I, I honestly, the podcast has opened up a lot of, a lot of possibilities that I never, never even in a million years thought were possible. Sort of like, you know, recording that audio commentary. I mean, it's just. Yeah, what the hell that happened? Just <laughs> weird. <laughs> uh, and Joe saying making many dozens of dollars now in the chat. Uh, no dozens of dollars yet. <laughs> the only money I've made off of this is we did the commentary track. Uh huh. Someone sponsor us. I swear we're great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So like I said, we're doing things a little bit different this time. And instead of talking about movies that scarred us for life, we wanted to talk about as a kid, we want to talk about movies that we've seen as an adult that like really got under our skin. And I think one of the questions that we did get from Twitter might kind of help start this conversation a little bit because JD on Twitter asked, what movies are your scarred for life movies from the last five years? Uh, not necessarily uh, watch once never again, but something that truly scared or disturbed you. And well, we're going to talk about one of those movies for me uh, <laughs> coming up in a in little bit. In a little yeah. bit. But do you have any of those movies? I have a couple. Um, yeah, I think from the last, especially from the last five years, um, I think Violation is one of them. Oh. It's also one of my favorite movies from the last like twenty so years. Like mm-hmm. I love the movie, but and I've seen it. Joe just said teen. Um, <laughs> yes. But it's so incredibly well done. And it is so incredibly true to my personal experience with PTSD that it is just like exhausting to watch. Mm-hmm. 
But I love it because it is so well done. It's like a lot of the films that have terrified me the most and that have disturbed me the most, I absolutely adore them. I just don't <laughs> want to put myself through it again. Like the emotional experience is so intense the first time. I don't need it again. But I did watch Violation twice. Both exhausting, but both very good. <laughs> that is an exhausting movie, I will say. It's really, <laughs> really well done, but exhausting, yeah. Another oh, another one I want to mention real quickly is The Sadness. No one, It's not oh. out yet um, as a film festival one, but that is the, one of the movies that I've seen in recent memory. So Yeah, that movie kind of fucked me up. <laughs> Uh, another one kind of in the same, not the same vein, but another sort of foreign film that, that I saw like, gosh, three years ago that terrified me was the movie terrified. <clears throat> I mean, we've, this show, this movie has come up a couple times on the podcast, but I, I saw it. It was one of my first films that we saw at Telluride horror film horror festival, which was my very first film festival. Um, I might've imbibed a little bit beforehand and it uh, absolutely rocked me to my core. Richard Waters, hello, my friend. Sorry, I know we're in the middle of recording the podcast, but friend of the show and previous guest Richard Waters just appeared in the chat. Tony Tony Kaufman says, uh, y'all know I love my fucked up movies. Yes, we do. Hmm. Um, but weirdly, out of everything I've seen, Nightcrawler is probably the movie I'm most hesitant to watch again. Fascinating choice, but very valid because that movie is disgusting. Like, it is just, like, so grimy and so real. Like, it just feels like that's definitely happening all over the place in L.A. And it Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. Have you seen Nightcrawler, Terry? I have not because it looks so grimy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's really grimy. It makes you feel – you need to shower after you watch mm-hmm. it. Like. Yeah. No, I've been meaning to watch it because, um, I mean, I, I love I love Jake Gyllenhaal, and he just looks kind of disturbing in this, um, which is a, a, a unique spin for him because he is such an attractive human being. But um, I, yeah, I, I just I just haven't I don't know if gotten the courage to watch it because I I mean I've heard that it is really just kind of a grimy film. You should see it though. It's really well done. It's it's beautifully done. It's it captures a Los Angeles really well. Um, mm. both the good and the bad. So I, th- I definitely think. Oh, that's funny. The Chandler actually just said this in the chat about the documentary series on Netflix, um, called Killer TV. It is okay. what ne- it's very. It's yeah. It's um Killer TV, Killer TV. Um, but it's like Chandler says, it um inspired Nightcrawler. It's a, this is a guy basically in Brazil. He essentially or Killer Ratings. Sorry, Steve got me right. Killer Steve and ratings. I watched it together. Killer Ratings. Thank you, Steve. Um, where this guy who hosted this really popular TV show in his part of Brazil basically was caught planning killing so he could film it and get higher what? ratings on his show. It's fucking crazy. It's really good. It's absolutely bananagrams. Um, so, and it, yeah, so it, it had actually happened and it's really, it's that sounds pretty gross because he was very much like, we have to get all the people who are drug dealers and murderers and gang members. And then he himself was participating in that violence. And it's, it's it's quite something. Wow. Uh, Matthew says that 
they feel like a basic bitch for saying this, but no one's a basic bitch. But um, I'm afraid to rewatch 2020's Invisible Man that hit home TBH. And me too. Fair. I have not rewatched it, and I'm too t- like I had a panic attack after I saw that in the theater. It's intense. That was the uh, that was the second to last movie because uh, we did a double feature in the movie theaters of that and the Lodge, and that was those were the two last movies I saw oh, before. That's right, I forgot that that was before the COVID hit. <laughs> Wow, really set the tone for the next, like, year and a half. Yeah. Oh, so Chandler talks about Shot in the Dark. He, he That's the one that he meant he was talking about. It follows a bunch of those oh. camera crews going through L.A. each night. Oh, fascinating. Oh, okay. Because Killer Ratings isn't, like, oh. exactly like Nightcrawler, but it's a similar vibe where this guy, like, set up murders. So Shot he in the them. Dark. Wow, I hate that that's happened in multiple places. <laughs> <laughs> Were humans a mistake? Maybe they were. Quite possibly. Um, anyway, if no one else has any other films they want to throw into the chat, should we would chat about the two films that you and I brought to discuss yes. today? Yes, we should. Uh, absolutely. Um, okay, so first up, let's let's take it to... I forgot that not everyone can see all the weird little <laughs> dance moves I do while you're talking that I do every single time you record, and I just move my body like a noodle. And everyone gets to see me do that. And now you get to think about that while you listen and just see me kind of weave around. I just want to say that every single time that I start laughing before we start, we hit record, chances are you're seeing why now. Because there's just some silly silliness that always seems to happen right before we record. And this is it. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's take it to uh, Japan. Um, I want to hear about Neroi. Uh, for those that aren't familiar, I will. I have a brief synopsis that I'll read. It's a documentary filmmaker explores seemingly unrelated paranormal incidents connected by the legend of an ancient demon called the Kagutuba. Kab- Kag- <laughs> Gosh, Kagutaba. Kagutaba. Yeah. Um, okay. So, Mary Beth, when did you see this movie? How did you see this movie? Why is it your scar for life? I saw it recently, like relatively recently, like comparatively speaking. And I'm obviously a found footage freak. Surprise, everybody. Ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> and um, sorry, I'm looking at this. And oh, yeah, we should. I shut the door. Maybe I'll see if Steve should open the door and let the cats in and they can make an appearance for once. But um, I mean, they kind of need to. I, pick, I picked this movie because I think it is a incredible masterclass in building tension and creating cosmic horror and i haven't seen cosmic horror really ever made like this before in found footage and cosmic horror particularly the idea of like unknowable giant terror that Mm. is like beyond kind of your own comprehension it has really been getting to me in the past couple of years and that really terrifies me i wonder why <laughs> I it swear be? to God, I thought I just saw something fly past. Oh, it's your light. I was like, is there a fucking ghost oh. on this live stream right now? <laughs> Surprise. This is host part two. Y'all are fucked. Like, What's moving in front of the screen? Oh, like, yeah, we're no. gonna die. <laughs> it's my screen illuminating my face or not. Like, depending would on... that not be the funniest horror movie found footage shit? Is like for me, especially, like we're recording a live podcast and you just get ghosts, like get got by a ghost. Anyway. But so that's one of the reasons why I picked this. I think it's one of the most effective horror movies, found footage movies. And I think another thing, a really big part of this movie is that it is 100% a direct precursor to paranormal activity. It came out in 2005. It's directed by Koji Shibarashi, who is an incredible filmmaker. 
and who does found a lot of found footage and like cosmic horror found footage. So he's really good at this kind of vibe, but it has, it's got the kind of pseudo documentary vibe where it's like, there's clips from news, like news shows and game shows and also like night, like night vision, not night vision, but like surveillance footage, like the paranormal activity watching while they sleep footage. Mm, And mm -hmm. then there's the, the, POV, like the standard POV handheld camera stuff. And it's all pieced together to be like, what's like, this is the mystery of what happened to Kobayashi, who is this paranormal researcher and investigator. And it utilizes that static footage that paranormal activity does in a way that you really don't see very often, like in early, in those like early horror, found footage horror films. And the way that it, I thought you this reminded me of you because when on the commentary track we, you talked about second screen horror and how they're filming Mika listening to the audio and mm-hmm. they do that multiple times in Naroy. They do, and so like there are these really like really incredible parallels that I hadn't noticed before. This is my second time watching it, and these parallels of like this is one hundred percent like paranormal activity was like I want to be this. Yeah, yeah. I, I I had that same reaction when I was uh, wa- this was my first time watching the the movie was for the for this recording. Although I take that back because as I was watching it, there were certain scenes that just popped out to me. So I don't know how. I don't I don't I don't know why maybe this movie has infected my brain before I even saw it but there's like a scene where uh they show up in front of one of the suspects' house and there's like a there's pigeons up on the balcony and there's like trash up there and I was like wait I'm getting immense deja vu so I don't know if I've seen like little snippets of this movie or something but some of Part it came of the cosmic horror I know. Of the movie. <laughs> yeah, but but okay, so when I was watching this, the thing that immediately jumped out to me was there is a scene in which uh they are this woman is hearing is is like hearing noises in her in her place and she wants to be filmed sleeping. So they set up a camera station on her bed and she gets up out of bed in the middle of the night, stands there for a few moments, and I'm like, Oh, this is giving me paranormal activity vibes, and then does something spooky, and I'm just like, Okay, obviously the creators of that of paranormal activity probably saw this movie and were taking from it because there's it's it's too much of a direct correlation i would say yeah i know and i i love it because it's just like another reason why everyone should watch this movie and it's streaming on shutter and it's mm-hmm. really it's really hard to find except now that it's on shutter so please watch this just as that flagging that now but yeah like, like you know, we, you know, I talk a lot about how paranormal activity is, it is like this big touch point for found footage in, especially in like Western audiences, but like just looking at what it was, exi- what existed outside of the United States and how a lot of those films are like integral and what not just found footage, but like what horror cinema looks like today. Like so many movies like Invisible Man pull from paranormal activity in those mm-hmm. shots of empty hallways and stuff. So. The first time I saw it, I was so in like taken by like the whole thing that I didn't necessarily make those parallels yet yeah so yeah sorry there's also a massive train going by my house right now so peek behind the curtain (laughs) (laughs) y'all i know you said that you saw uh relative more recently um but what about it stuck out to you when you first when you first watched it what was it that that just got inside your head this sense okay so the way that i would describe it is like the cosmic horror of it and that sense of absolute randomness, but mm. also almost like it was like a contagion. Okay. Which – so there's there's two parts to it. So the randomness to me got to me because the, f- the film begins with Kobayashi is visiting this woman who says, I'm hearing like babies cry in mm. my home, which is creepy 
in and of itself. (laughs) And he has written books. He's made multiple, like, he's known for being a paranormal researcher. So he's called by this person to be like, hey, um, what the hell? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty fucking weird. And getting, like, just by happenstance, this person calls him and he falls into this, like, huge, like, demonic conspiracy thing mm-hmm. and like that kind of really fucked me up in terms of like the randomness of it all like what if he hadn't been called by that person and he wouldn't have gotten involved in it or is it an inevitability thing which is like the other film we're going to be talking about and like was he always doomed to fall into this like you know what i mean like there's this sense of just complete hopelessness in terms of how he got involved or how he could avoid it you know and that that kind of that also gets to me but the other thing is that the events of the film feel much bigger than what's going on mm. in this little nugget of what we capture. Because, you know, Kobayashi is the centerpiece of the movie, is like the main character. And then, but then, you know, you have seven people who commit suicide who are apparently oh. associated with what the cult that's in this movie. And so it's it's like... There's something bigger kind of going on, and yeah, it's, like, centered upon this one, like, ancient ritual for, like, one demon, but it feels so much bigger than that, and that sense of scale, but how it was captured, the, how this movie's able to capture, like, the incomprehensibility of that scale, if that mm. makes sense, you know what I mean? No, it does. And the, the way that the movie is able to capture that and kind of be like, this is bigger than one person, but we only have this one lens to look at it through. That's terrifying. And also it happens in his movie, Occult, which is incredible. It's on YouTube if you want to watch it. It's it's more, it's th- that one is even more cosmic horror. But again, similar found footage vibe of like, being able to cap, like you are capturing just one sliver of a giant cosmic event and you cannot even begin to p- like p- put together the pieces of what's actually happening. Yeah. You know, and that's cool as hell. That it is. You know, what kind of what you're talking about there about the sort of patchwork, because if for those that haven't watched this movie yet and you really, you, I would really recommend going out to check it out. Um, it, like, like we kind of talked about, it does pull a variety of different, uh, sort of like filming perspective. So there's a game show, for instance, where we meet one of the characters who is is on this like variety hour in Japan and they're trying to test um, kind of kinetic ability, psycho, psychokinetic telekinesis in these kids. And this one kid is able to draw everything that is inside this little tube of um, or like a film tube. She's able to draw everything that's in it except one time where she draws a face, a mask. And it's this face that is constantly repeated throughout this entire movie in a variety of different aspects. So you have that going on. There is um, the story of this, uh, he's called a super psychic and he's dressed. It's it's kind of um, almost like a comedic relief moment where he shows up and he's all in aluminum foil. He has an aluminum foil hat. He's wearing aluminum foil on his outfit. His entire um, home is decked out in aluminum foil. And he, he comes across as one of those sort of like people that are afraid of, you know, rays from the sky or aliens listening in on him. And it reminded me a little bit of signs with the kind of hats that they put on. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing, he's all decked out in this, but he sees these, he keeps calling him ectoplasmic worms that he's seeing crawling all over everyone. So he's talking about this. You have this woman who is an actress who goes on one of these shows that's out there exploring spooky things. And she sees something out there 
And it's something that you don't see until they pull the footage back and then they point out that there's someone standing behind her. There's all these little things that are just put together as like this patchwork for something that is much more massive than the sum of one or two people. Exactly. And the the reveal at the end, there's two kind of reveals at the end, really. But the first reveal, which is like I think the the night vision footage that a lot of screen that are a lot of screen caps, when you Girl. realize what the ectoplasmic worms are, you're like, "Girl, no. there's a moment, there's a moment no, no, where no. <laughs> they find one of the women, uh, one of the little girls, and she is being covered with these ghostly fetuses that are just crawling on her and on the shrine." It's the background of my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and it was absolutely horrifying. <laughs> Ew, but the worst is when they don't have the image yet. And you just hear the sound of them. Like, mm-hmm. if you, I had my headphones on and they were like. <laughs> so fucking gross. It's gnarly. It is gnarly. It's I was not prepared gnarly. for that image. I was like, okay, whoa. So, okay, so that reminds me. This is your first time seeing this. So mm-hmm. tell me, like, your overall thoughts and experience watching this for the first time. Because I'm very excited that you got to see it. Finally. I am too. I, okay, so I, I will say I do think it's a little slow. And I think that's part of the reason that I, I stay away from it for, like, a while. Because it's two hours long. And it is a little slow, slow. in spots. Just kidding. <laughs> But it has that sort of what what I liked is how you're talking about the reason why it scared you was this sort of like dread that is sort of compounding through it. So it is slow and it it does take a little bit of effort to get into. But once I was like enraptured and I figured out what was going on, it was like the screws were getting cranked the entire time. And so there is that ratcheting sense and it is a slow burn in that regard that is going on for almost two hours. Uh, yeah. And it leads to such like, it just, it's unrelenting. It does not let go. It just sort of is, is simmering for a little bit and then it will step up a little bit and it simmer some more and it will step up. But there's no, there's no release valve. There's no, there's no other than like the kind of super psychic aspect of it. There's nothing that's even remotely humorous about much of it. And it just, once you start to like see these sort of connections with, you mentioned seven people hang themselves. They don't know each other. These are just seven people across the the town that get together and hang themselves in a park. And so there's that aspect of it. Then there's the, the images that we see of the, the, the little girl covered with ghostly fetuses. And then there's the, the finale, which reminded me a little bit of like the best of found footage where everything just sort of kind of goes to hell at the last minute and yeah, yeah. bad <laughs> just you're like oh, okay the like all of it's like all of the the tension and like anger and violence that you feel building up is like jesus really it's released in a, quite a way yeah so I, I i really i understand what completely why this film was your choice it's it is quite an experience to to unravel. And I love the sort of control he had over how much he wanted to kind of let people in on the story and sort of, uh, you know, let it out a little bit, re-let out just a little bit over over the time, over the course of the, the two hours that just – it's it had me thinking and I thought about it all last night after I, I watched it. I, I really – and like, really you know, I watched it. it and like a part that really got to me this time that I like did not get to me that last time was you're talking about when the little girl Kana is doing those like psychic tests mm-hmm. and they're like, they're like, all right, kids, here are all the tests. I know you're psychic and like, all right, fill this, fill this container with water, like with just your, your, your mind. 
She fills it with water, but it's not clean water. It's nasty, dirty lake water with hair in it. Mm-hmm. And I don't like wet hair to me is just like my worst nightmare. It's disgusting. <laughs> I don't, I just can't. Like, oh. but then they're like, oh yeah, um, the hair, it's baby hair. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because this also is a great movie for second time viewing because it's like, okay, you saw the first time, you kind of, all right, these are all the weird ass steps to get where we're going. And then when you watch it, you're like, oh, okay. So the baby hair is in reference to the fetuses. And then like Junko Ishii, who is a cult leader, lives in that house next to the, like, is the reason why the babies are, the baby sound is happening in the original apartment and they find her again. And it's like this crazy web of details that is so cool to watch come together. Mm-hmm. And it's so fucking scary because you're like, this is not just like a haunting. This is like a full on purposeful attack. And it's so, I don't know, it's just bone chilling to watch it all unfold. And like, Shibarashi is an incredible director. And the way he's able to make this kind of story is just it's 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 a perfect movie. So it's really good. Yeah. And it's so funny because in thinking about like inevitability and kind of like this hopelessness, it was a weird tie into your movie that you picked. Like a weird I was like, oh, these movies are actually have more of a connection than I kind of initially expected because you brought with you today Hereditary. I sure did. Everyone, I feel like everyone's probably pretty familiar with the 2018, Ari Aster's 2018 directorial debut, Hereditary. And so I'm super excited to talk to you about this and hear from you why you picked this movie and why this is your scarred for life adult version. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, here, okay. So here's the thing. Uh, when Joe, I went to IMDb. Jill <laughs> <laughs> is under a rock. <laughs> just kidding. Um. The IMDb synopsis for this is just perfect. It's a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's the IMDb. Yeah, that is it. I mean... That's it. That is exactly what happened. Succinct, yes, Joe. It is. That is a succinct thing. <laughs> so that, I don't think you can get much more succinct than that. Shit happens. Shit happens. Bad, <laughs> bad shit, particularly. Like, really bad shit happens. And Chandler, you said that you cried a hell of a lot the first time you saw this movie. Uh, I'm going to try to not get emotional when I discuss about why this movie fucked me up. Uh, but yes, <laughs> keep that in mind. <laughs> well, why did you pick talking about making you cry? Why <laughs> did you pick this movie to talk about on, in front of God and everyone today? You know, well, there, okay, so there's there's a lot of different ways that you could approach this movie as to why this movie is scarring. Uh, the fact that the movie watching experience for this, um, to set the scene, we went to go see it at, um, an Alamo draft house where they have like, you know, zero tolerance for talking and all that kind of stuff, which is the sort of audience you want to have when you see a movie like this. And so we had a great audience and the creepy moments hit, you know, really hard. The gasps were all appropriate. The decapitation of poor Charlie, the tongue pop jump scares, uh, Peter seeing Charlie in the corner losing her head and it just rolls into a ball. Like all of these just was firing on all cylinders and it was terrifying in their own right. Peter bashing his head against the desk and even the climax. My favorite moment of watching this movie in the theater was hearing the sort of gasps happen in surround sound around me as everyone in the movie theater started at different times to see Annie crouched in the corner like a fucking spider over uh, like- Peter's bed. Like, that moment is my 
favorite cinema, like cinema going experience. And I love that so many people got to experience that. And it's like when they, if you were, you know, if you were able to see it opening weekend, like that was one of my like favorite like reasons mm-hmm. why I love going to see horror movies in the theater. Like that was a fucking incredible experience. Everyone going, <gasps> like <laughs> it was just so cool. Yeah, and that it was it was one of those things where it's like I just I loved I love when you get into an experience. Everyone is so invested by that moment that like you can just everyone is so quiet except you hear <gasps> just popping up all over the theater. And it would have been so funny if it weren't so fucking terrifying. Well, and that's the thing. Like it's a collective traumatic experience. That that movie was like everyone in the theater. I feel like we all bonded that day because <laughs> mm-hmm. like none of us knew what to expect. Like this was before anyone knew like what this movie really was. Other than like scary as shit, and you're like, oh, it's a creepy kid movie, and you're like, psych. Exactly, <laughs> and that it was. I went into this movie because all of the the trailers up to that point, you know, focused on Charlie and. And sort of like she gave off that sort of creepy kid energy. And I'm like, okay, this could be a creepy kid movie. And so by the end of the first act where she is dead, her head is covered in ants on the side of the road. I was like, what movie are we watching? What is this? What what horrific thing are we going to experience next? And yes. Uh, Andrew says, this is where Terry tells us it's a true story and that he is Peter. Oh my God, you pay, man. Hail, Pyman. Hail. That's me. I am I am Peter. <laughs> Nikki and Cass can't confirm. <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay, but there is truth to this because uh in a lot of ways the reason why the reason why I picked this movie, I mean we could talk about the 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 jump scares. We could talk about the fact that nothing has been as iconic as a as a tongue pop since since Drag Race. Uh Yes, mama. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Trying to tell a story. <laughs> but the reason why this this movie was actually terrifying was because of the relationship between Peter and Annie. Uh, and this is why this movie was very scarring. Uh, because from the very beginning, even before shit is hitting the fan between them, uh, Peter's walking on eggshells around his mom. There's the scene early on in the film where uh, they are going to go to the party and he's trying to delicately talk to his mom without like saying anything that's going to cause her to like blow up at him. And so he's sort of like talking around it and he does this thing that I remember doing and when I was a teenager where it's sort of like, okay, I'm going into the lion's den. There's a snake in here. I want to be careful and not rouse it so that it, it lashes out. And I think that this is something I don't think this movie is a queer movie, but I do think that it touches into a lot of fears that queer kids have growing up. So like once we went from that into the dinner scene, which the dinner scene is just like, whew, absolutely, you know, gut wrenching where again, he's sitting at the table, he's quiet. His dad is trying to have a normal conversation and then his uh his mom is like just snaps and unleashes all of like her tension on him is like a moment that i have unfortunately experienced at a at a table not to that degree but of that of that nature and then it all leads up to the point where i think a lot of queer kids have that fear where she's like i didn't even want to be your mom and that moment right there is the reason why this movie fucking scarred me I'm crying. <laughs> oh my God. 
<laughs> Sorry to bring the mood down. Welcome but... to the live stream. We're crying <laughs> on camera. Yeah, so that moment oh, where Terry. Oh my god. Where she where she says that and it's in a dream and he doesn't know that she says it. But the fact that that intent is there is like whew, that like was like a knife in my chest of like every fear that I had growing up. Oh, Terry. God, Jesus. <laughs> And then I cried mascara into my eyes. <laughs> yeah, Andrew, your version no, was like, funnier, but, but but like the, that's the that's the thing about this movie. Like, it's not just scary. Like, it really does play on those family dynamics. Because I saw mm-hmm. a lot of a fan, like my familiar relationships in a similar way in that too. And like, it's not the horror didn't like this, the bad shit didn't make her like that. Like right. she was always like that, and that's fucking terrifying when you realize that like. She's not thinking this because of, like, payment. She's thinking this because she's thought that for a long time, like, in right. her own heart. And that's terrifying. And, you know, the thing is, is that once the, – what's what I think is so great about this movie and what I, I love rewatching it for, because I think I've, I think I've watched this now, like, five or six times. And every single time I come away with something new from Are it. Are we okay? <laughs> <laughs> I just, like – I think it's even, like, taking out the emotional aspect of it, I think it's such a well-constructed – uh, film and the thing yeah. that like I really as I was thinking about what about this movie scarred me and the thing that I was trying to focus on is the fact that I never really realized it I, I guess I never maybe I did know this before but like I never really realized how much Annie is the the, the protagonist of this movie this movie is about her is about this woman who had a terrible upbringing um, whose father starved to death whose brother kept saying that his mom was trying to put people inside of him who escaped that and has her own life. And then her mom inserts herself back into it and is doing the same things over again. And so it's like this idea of this trauma that is constantly repeating. And so it's not necessarily that she's a bad person. It's just the fact that she has been raised to this and this is her life experience. And so it adds a sort of like fatality or a fatalness to it where it's like, it's so nihilistic, but it's like there's no other possible outcome for this movie than what is happening here. Even if you strip out the the supernatural elements to it, her this family is going to is going to explode and implode on itself just because of the history of trauma that is becoming this circular whirlpool that no one can escape. Yeah, and it's depressing, but it's so well constructed in that regard. Man, I fucking love that movie. It, it, it but it is incredibly well constructed, and like you know. Like you're saying, like I didn't, I picked up on some of that when I when I and the like bunch of t- hundreds. I've not watched this movie hundreds of times, and the several times I've watched it, but like not to the degree that you just described. Um, which is really cool that like this is a movie you can keep extracting things out of, especially because as you rewatch it, you start you really do start to feel that inevitability and that kind of hopelessness that is like imbues an entire film that not just through like the payment aspects but through the fan like the family trauma and the cyclical nature of family trauma and trying to like undo all of that and not being able and like it's just fundamentally not being able to unlearn those Mm -hmm. things go to therapy everybody if you can (laughs) do it it's great for you i promise but something that really sticks out to me in this movie that I think I've been thinking about more as I have like the more times I've seen this and I've actually written about this before is Annie's attempt to cope with her trauma through the dollhouses and the mm-hmm. diorama, the, the dioramas that she makes and like her, her art, it's like her job. And the fact that she reconstructs 
these scenes throughout her life. Like, there are a couple moments where we don't get any context other than, like, an empty – it's like a preschool room where there's, like, something happened in a preschool. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, another room that's, like, a linoleum floor and all these chairs. And then you see the funeral of her mom. You see her mom trying to breastfeed Charlie, which is a whole other level of, like, wild shit. But then you you see her – reconstructing the accident Mm -hmm. where charlie is decapitated and you know her husband walks in and is like what the fuck are you doing right and she's like what (laughs) and like she doesn't see the problem with it and it's like in my head i'm like but i kind of understand because it's her method of trying to enact some kind of control over an absolutely horrific situation that makes no sense and her being able to meticulously piece together the head, like literally making her daughter's decapitated head, which is like a horrific thing. But like, it is her way to understand and tr- and process. And like, as a person who uses her writing to process a lot of her trauma, like I could, I felt for her, especially in that moment of like, she is just trying to do what she can to get through her own bullshit. And someone else comes in and is like, that's not the right way to do that. And she's like, okay. So, like, the these just – the dioramas just become – and especially because it's, like, that motif at the beginning and the end when, like, yep. they're zooming in to the dollhouse and then zooming out of the, the treehouse. Like, this really – and it's, like, so fucked up because it's, like, she thinks that she's been trying to build these things, like, construct them and enact control. But in reality, she was right. she was another figure in a bigger diorama being controlled by a higher power. And it's just – again, that just, again, represents those cycles of violence and trauma that, like, you think you're breaking out of, but – you're just fooling yourself. And like, that's so fucking sinister. It really is. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the dollhouses because one of the things that I, I really focused in on my, on this watch this time is how a lot of the, the cinematic shots are staged as if we are this omniscient God staring in on their house as if it is a diorama in itself. And it, the movie lends itself to that from the very beginning. You kind of mentioned the zooming in and out of the, the tree house, but my favorite shot of the movie is when it zooms into the replica of their house and that becomes the house. And, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's full of people and not just dolls. And that moment is, is so great. And I think it ties into the sort of the motif that Ari Aster is exploring in here because one of the things that I I love in movies is when there's an English class and they're talking about something that has relevance to the story. And in this case, they're talking about Heracles and the teacher says that he is undone by his fatal flaw. What is his fatal flaw? And someone says arrogance refuses to look at the signs that are literally being handed to him. You can take that for this family of what is happening here because the mom, the arrogance of like, Someone saying, hey, this might not be healthy for our kids. And that sort of arrogance, like, I'm just doing this for me, that sort of self-servingness that kind of undoes this family. But then they take it a little bit further. And he's like, he thinks he has control. Heracles thinks he has control. But the idea is that he never had a choice. And does that make it more or less tragic than if he had a choice? So the idea that is being floated in this high school English class is this idea of free will versus determinism. And the movie goes about just sort of dissecting the determinism and saying that, no, this family was fucked from the very beginning. Because as a kid says in in class, it's more tragic because if it's inevitable, the characters had no hopes. They They were pawns in this hopeless machine. And that is what is happening throughout this entire movie. 
is that they are just cogs in this machine that is going to chew them up and spit them out and destroy them. And there's nothing that they can do to stop that. And that is quite nihilistic. <laughs> yeah. Chandler had a really great comment in the chat. Um, it's incredible how much the cycle of trauma really adds a sinister edge to the more traditional horror aspects. Like Annie thought her family had a history of mental illness, but in reality it was her own abusive mother's greed and narcissism that kicked things off. Mm-hmm. Makes payment feel like a being so evil that it attracts evil people, which is an intense metaphor for the family dynamics on display. Ugh, rough. Correct. It is very rough. That is very rough. Yeah. And that's true. And it's just... Every time I'm like, someone want to watch this movie with me? They're like, please don't make me watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is so... I feel like everyone can identify with some part of the family dynamic in this movie. And they're like, I see myself in this and I don't like it. Like that stupid meme that's like, I see myself in this and I don't like it. Like that's me watching this. And I feel like most people I know who are like, ixnay on that. So... And the other thing is, is that what, what I love is that we, they, you know, they also talk about in the class about seeing the signs and they're the thing that I think hereditary does incredibly well is do, it uses environmental storytelling to great effect. So there's these mm-hmm. little, little aspects that you, you see and you don't really put, put it together. So when we, when we come in on the, the eulogy and, and Annie is talking about, you know, that her, her mom had secret rights, secret rituals and, and, or private rights and private friends. And so she was surprised at how many people were here. That's a little key right there. It's a throwaway line. It's something like, you know, of like people saying, I'm surprised at the turnout for my mom's funeral type thing, but it's actually telling us a key bit of a plot that these people know her. And then you, you see her, the mom, and there's a necklace and it has that symbol. And then there's the man that is creepily grinning at Charlie because he knows what's in store. And then there's the woman that rubs something on her lips. And then the symbols start to pop up in places. It's on the back of the light pole that eventually decapitates Charlie. It's on the bed. It's on, it's everywhere. And you start to see these little things that are little signs that something is not right. And yet everyone is so arrogant to even pay attention to what is happening. Annie knows when she goes over to Joan's house that this mat is very much like a mat that her mom would make, but she doesn't put two and two together that Joan and her and her mom knew each other. There's all these little things that add up to at the very end of the film, realizing what is actually happening. And it also benefits. It's why this movie is so great to rewatch because there's a lot of little, little bits of, of things you can pick up every single time you see it. And that's, I love puzzle movies like that. Again, like, Naroy, like, you go back and watch it, and you're like, oh, my God, like, everything comes together so perfectly. And it's like, that kind of writing is so incredible to watch, like, just unfold. And you're like, oh, my God, you did that. But like, and even on top of the writing, like, this is a fucking horrific movie. It's like, it's gory. Mm -hmm. It's nasty. It's not afraid. Like, I mean, like, it commits, like, number one horror taboo and killing the kid and, like, really (laughs) aggressively showing it like that. And it, in and of itself is traumatizing. Like when her head hits the pole, uh-huh. everyone screamed. I still scream. I know it's coming, but that sound. Oh, boy. oh, it's a it's a horrendous sound. And I love what I love about Ari Aster, and I hope he continues this. Is sort of like sort of like how Flanagan loves to maim people's hands. He certainly does like to bashing people's heads. And I love oh, that in this does. movie, you think that you know you're done with with seeing her. And no, we're going to do a close-up of her decapitated head sitting on the side of the road covered with ants. We're going to linger on that. 
And it's so horrific. And there's then the decapitated mother's body, and then Annie like saws off her own head with a piano wire. That's that's I mean, like we're talking about sound design. Just think about that sound of the piano wire going through her her neck skin oh. when you, you don't know what it is, and you look up and she's just like, oh, and that look on her face when that's happening. It's just so horrific. So okay, then I have a question for you. What do you prefer, Hereditary or Midsommar? Not that you have to like pick a favorite, but hereditary. I'm curious if there's one. Okay, yeah, me too. I think Hereditary is a is a for me. It's a better movie. I think Midsummer is really good. Um, I think the director's cut. I think that if you were to take up certain aspects of the director's cut out, it would be a much better movie. Uh, and there's a scene in the director's cut where they they go to night, and I'm like, that's unnecessary. Keep it in the daytime, but like a lot of what the the director's cut added in, I think adds a lot to that story. But I do think, for me, this two hour movie is the perfect movie going experience, and I I think that I don't think he's going to be able to make something as good as Hereditary again. To be perfectly honest, and not that anything else can be bad. Suck, Aster. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens when you start at the top of your game? I mean, you blew it in one. I mean, think about like how many how many fantastic uh, first time directors we've had over the last, gosh, five six years from Jennifer Kent to Jordan Peele to Ari Aster to Eggers to, Jeez, um, really have had some good ones. to Julia DeCornow. I mean, you know, they come swinging out the gate with these fantastic films, and then they take like a weird side dip. I mean, Midsummer is not what I would have expected from Ari Aster. The Lighthouse isn't what I would expect from Eggers. <laughs> the Nightingale and Ken. The Nightingale. The, the Nightingale is incredible. Yeah. It's just very different. Whoo, I just rewatched that one recently and I want to die. <laughs> I still haven't. Um still haven't watched that. I want to, but like you I feel haven't like seen it. No, I feel oh. like I have to be in a snow. Okay. I feel like I have to be in a specific kind of mood because it's long and Yeah, it's long, but it, and it's it every brutal? minute every minute is needed in that movie, but it's fucking brutal. Yeah. Wait. Ari Aster's next cast, Parker Posey, Nathan Lane, Patty Lapone. His next movie. What the fuck is the next movie? Where have I been? Under a rock? Probably. <laughs> His next movie is called Disappointment Boulevard. Ah, it's, Jesus. It's filming right now. And I it's again, again with these IMDB plot summaries that don't say anything, a decades spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. Oh, that sounds boring. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it has Joaquin Phoenix, Michael Gandolfini, Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane, Patty Lupone. Is it going to be scary or is it going to be like a normie movie? I'm sorry. That's so, that's so rude and not a normie movie. Is it going to be like a, a drama? Well, so there's trivia on here that says it's a feature length version of early's, of Astor's early short film, Bo, but with a different title and story structure. And Bo has a much more evocative description because I looked it up today and it's a neurotic middle-aged man's trip to visit his mother is delayed indefinitely when his keys are mysteriously taken from his door. He's subsequently haunted by an increasingly sinister chain of upsetting events. That sounds like my OCD. I'm excited if that's the way it goes. <laughs> if I can't find my keys, I'm like, I'm broken for the rest of the day. So if that is true and it is pulling from it, I there is definitely some horror aspect of it. But I mean, that was just, you, you, anyone could edit I'm to be stuff, so who knows that's, if that's very true. Like, who the fuck a... knows if what actually is true or not? Okay, hmm. fascinating. Well, I'll go see all of his movies. So, I'm just looking through the comments. Yeah, Matthew, the silent design is so good in Hereditary. 
Okay. And so I, I, Matthew did say that he loved what I said, but he doesn't know if he would call Annie arrogant. I mm-hmm. tend to fall in line with what Ari Asher said, that if she ever consciously admitted what was going on, she'd be completely destroyed. And I can see that. Absolutely. That is an absolutely valid point. I just, I think in terms of, of the sort of framing metaphor of like Heracles and arrogance, I think that there is sort of, if not arrogance, then um, I, I, I mean, I do, I will say I do find that I think Annie is a very selfish person. I think that everyone in that family is very selfish. Um, and I think the fact that they can't necessarily see their own culpability in it, because the the thing that causes the, the dinner party blow up is this idea that she says no one can take responsibility for their actions. And so she's saying this as sort of like attacking everyone else. But at the end of the day, she also is culpable in that as well. And I do think that that is a blind spot for every single character in this movie. Like she made him take her to the party. I mean, that was kind of a low blow, but (laughs) I mean, yeah, but who hasn't said a fucked up thing in a fight with their parents before? Yeah. Yeah. Oops. So yeah, those were the two films that we wanted to discuss with everybody. Um, But, you know, we also wanted to open it up for some Q and a, we got some great questions on Twitter that we can go through. But if any of you guys in the chat have any questions you want to ask us, if you want to call in, yep. just let us know. If anyone and wants to try out the, the fancy call-in feature, please do. Uh, you can just, if you're on a computer with Chrome, you can just call in and we can hear your beautiful voices if you want. But if you, uh, if otherwise, you can post in the, in the chat. Uh, I will start off with, I mean, Tony Kaufman is, is here, but Tony put um, on Twitter... Who are each of your top three dream guests? So, Mary Beth, I'll toss it over to you first so I can think. Go! <laughs> <No. laughs> Orin Pelly from Paranormal Activity. Coralie Farge from Revenge, mm. Director of Revenge. Tony Collette. <laughs> mm. Those are great choices. Those are great choices. Uh, How okay. about you? For me, number one, Heather Langenkamp. From Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'd love to chat with her about her acting career, about working with special effects, because her husband owns a special effects uh, shop that has done effects. And she's worked on effects for different movies. I think she'd be a fascinating person to talk to. And she was sort of the reason I fell in love with modern horror movies was was her performance in that movie. So I would love to talk, talk with her. Uh, I would really like to talk with Ari Aster. I think you'd be, That'd be a, good one. a phenomenal discussion. And honestly, I would really like to talk with Nia DaCosta. Nia DaCosta. Oh, that would be a really good. Co- that would be really good. But those yeah, would be those, ooh, those three be for me. Um, but there's so many. There's so many guests I would love to chat with. But those are like the ones that immediately oh, came to mind. Josh, I'm still waiting for Katya or Trixie to accept to be on. Oh my oh, god! If Katya came on the show, I would absolutely die. It would be so much chaos. It would oh, be incredible. I would love to have Katya or Trixie, but I'd love to have Katya yeah. in particular. I'm I'm a Katya, Katya stan. Really funny. I feel like she's more of a horror queen to me, but oh, Nikki, my my bestie says that asked if she ever told me the story about the time she nearly cured, killed her nephew. He did a random tongue click and he nearly ended his life right then and there. It's like years so ago. So not even that recent, but it still messed me up. He <laughs> nearly yeah. ended his life right then and there. Uh, you know. The tongue pop hurt around the like world. He knew, was, did he know what he was doing? 
like did he know what that like did he just doing it randomly or did he like have a, was he very pointed in his execution of the tongue pop i feel like that's an that's an important yeah you know idea. Oh, just annoying been going meanwhile Fine. i would have known what i was doing because i i mean oh, i was the one yeah. calling about like the ring came out seven days like that was me that was me Asshole. um oh, so another question we had from um i know i'm gonna get her name wrong but per perina <laughs> on twitter Perperina says y'all have mentioned some movies you'd like to cover someday but are there any movies that y'all dread someone bringing up because it means you'll have to revisit it and yeah, I, I know of one immediately that came to mind when I saw this question for me, and that was uh, that one movie that it just like literally left my mind. We're live people. Yeah, I'm being serious. <laughs> okay, well, I'll go because I yes, know mine. Go. Um, but mine is, and I don't know if anyone would bring this, but I spit on your grave, the 1978 oh. version. And like, I've seen it multiple times. I obviously am like a like a pretty big like rape revenge kind of scholar. I'll toot my horn there, whatever. Um, I just don't know if I could watch it again and talk about it on the podcast without getting like having a really hard time because that movie is really hard for me to watch. I and I have a hard time talking about it. I can write about it because I can mm-hmm. like kind of parse my thoughts that way but i don't really know how i would be able to discuss that i would totally do it and i think it would be okay but it would be really really hard yeah i can definitely see that one for sure yeah wow yeah and i don't it's one of those movies that are like i feel like you people probably wouldn't bring it but like i don't know we've gotten some weird stuff in this podcast where i'm like people have watched weird stuff as kids and as teenagers so like I don't know. You never know. Yeah, I mean... Tony Kaufman saw Solo when he was 10. Of course you did, Tony. Absolute maniac. I will say, um, I (laughs) it came to me. I don't know why the the, literally the name just floated out the moment I said it, or the moment I thought about it. But uh, honestly, Martyrs. Oh, that's true. Someone could bring that, especially if someone's like my, a little bit younger than me. Yeah, I, uh, it was an exhausting watch for me, and I don't, I don't know if I ever want to put myself through through that movie again i've only seen it once i've seen it three times i can't necessarily recommend it it. (laughs) what i don't particularly like it but it uh it's definitely it was an exhausting experience i mean that's valid though like it is exhausting it's just like a lot of really horrible things happening to women (laughs) for like two hours Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good one i'm curious yeah we haven't I mean, the one that always pops up too is uh, that has someone has asked at one point to come on the show without really thinking about it was uh, Jeepers Creepers and yeah, we won't cover that one. Absolutely not. Mm-mm. Nah, I don't want to. I don't want to rewatch that for many reasons. I don't think I could. I don't think I could watch it again without being very, very, very uncomfortable and upset. It would just be kind of a a not so great recording because I'd probably spend the entire time just like I don't want to analyze something made by. An absolute garbage can of a human being. But anyway. I don't know. It's weird. Because, like, I, w- I and again, this is just, you know, personal type stuff. Because I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have a problem necessarily talking about Rosemary's Baby. But for some reason, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But Distance, too. You know what I mean? Like, there's that, like, weird thing where you have a lot. Like, it's, like, been a couple, de- like a couple decades. Oh, there's Andrew. <gasps> oh, now hey, Andrew's Andrew. popping in. Is this just taking? <gasps> Hi, Andrew. I just, I just see a creepy hand. Hey, guys. 
Hey. Hi. I wonder if Oh my gosh, did... hi. I was like, why is he calling me? I wasn't trying to get in again. But here oh, I did, oh. did it. I think when you tried to add Matthew, it added me. Oh, that's so weird. But hello. Hey, how's it going? It called everybody. That that's is so bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's the what's the max you can have on here? Can you have like ten people on one call? Oh God. Um, I don't I, know. We had two. We, we had, had four. Before. Yeah, we had four before. Um, I think the max number of get like guests is is up to host and eight people. So I think. It can technically host a, a number of people. I don't know. It's so bizarre why it just decided to call you, but it's so nice to see you. <laughs> Did you have a question? Uh, yeah. Do you guys have any like, Halloween watch traditions? Or are you doing like a 31 days of October thing? You know, Oh, good question. I have done 31 days of October like three times, I think, in my adult life. And it's it's exhausting, but it's fun. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that this year just because of like all the festivals that come out. I mean, I technically, I guess, potentially could do like 31 movies. It just would be kind of spaced out. But um, my my personal favorite trend, uh, tradition is to watch Trick or Treat. I watch that every every Halloween. I just I love that film so I much. To, I you see it. The uh, log is playing on my TV right now. Oh, it's the uh, Trick or Treat Ghoul Log. Yes. Gulag. Um, I, I don't, I just don't have the brain space to do 31 days of October. I think it stresses me out too much on top of all the other things I have going on. But I always, always, always Halloween weekend will have an all day movie marathon either by myself or with friends. It just depends. And the movies vary. It really just depends on what I'm feeling. But it's typically like, it's not the typical Halloween stuff. Like, I want to watch weird shit. I use that as an opportunity to kind of catch up sometimes. But this year for Halloween, I will say, I, I'm i writing something, and this is kidding me honest. I'm going to finally watch all of the Halloween movies. I've oh, only wow. seen one, two, and – no, one, three, and the 2018 one. <laughs> so I will be using the first half of October – to catch up and watch all of the Halloween movies. Oh, wow. And kind of, like, get my shit together and write about it before Halloween Kills comes out. Um, if not, I definitely own the the Nightmare box set and the Friday at 13th one. But I don't, can't remember if I actually own the, the Halloween box set. I, and I also don't remember if I've seen all of them before. I've seen more than... I've seen more than you, but not a whole lot more. I think I've seen one, two, three... H2O, is it Resurrection? The, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, Resurrection and then uh, 2018 and Rob Zombie's first one. I think that's all I've seen. You've seen way more than I have. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very interested to go on this journey of the different canons. So we'll see. But yeah, that's my plan for Halloween this year. And now that I work in horror now for Halloween, I just feel like it's like I don't have time, which is so embarrassing. <laughs> But like, I just don't have time to watch anything. So, do you what have are any? You doing for Halloween? Yeah, oh, one brain cell. <laughs> one brain cell. I don't know. I started to put together a thirty-one day list, but I also I've been trying to do the like one hundred horror movies in ninety-two days thing. Oh wow! Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So spooky Sarah. I think Spooky Sarah started that one. I Probably think. yeah. But I am very far behind and will not get anywhere close to it. I think I'm at like. 18 or some shit now. So <laughs> a long way to go and not a lot of days left. So. 
But yeah, I'm going to try to watch. I'm going to see Lamb tomorrow, which is not, I guess, the part of October, but I'm going to count it toward my... Yeah, it's like, I mean, like, October 1st is this week, so it's technically October. (laughs) Yeah, I I made the mistake of saying that I would relaunch my web store on, uh, on the 1st. So now I got to actually you make did. shit to... Hell yeah, you, you did. because I've been very excited uh-huh. about that. <laughs> so I'm like... We'll see, see how it goes. Four days left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. It's fine. got a bunch of um, shoes that I'm painting right now as we speak. Jason I have to supposed to go out this week. Ooh, I have a shoe question to ask you. Not now, obviously, but I do have something I want to talk to you about. A project. Sweet. Yeah. Um, after these, I... Have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight pairs of Doc Martens to paint. Uh, right after this, like for custom this, orders, yeah. or just like, oh <laughs> my god, eight, Jesus, yeah. keeping busy. Actually, well, yeah, these ones, the when I put them up, it was supposed to be a pre-order for January, so I have time, but I was trying to get oh. them done ahead of time so I could do other stuff. But we'll we'll see how that goes. Lots to do. Good vibes. Good That's vibes. awesome. Oh, related to art stuff, though. Since you guys are talking about hereditary and this near me. <gasps> yes! <gasps> oh, my God. God, it's so Actually, good. Kind of see it up there. Yeah. Make prints oh, one, yeah. Couldn't get the, the colors quite right because I didn't, like, prime this first. So, like, you can, oh. you can see, like, the wood through it. So, making prints is a little difficult. Cool. Sweet. Lots of stuff happening, guys. Lots of stuff happening. That's awesome. Thanks for popping in. It's so great to actually see you while we're chatting. Listen to let's listen to Andrew's episode. <laughs> it's so good. It's a good one. I was one. gonna say when I when we recorded, I didn't it was before you guys switched to, to video stuff, so mm-hmm. yeah. I to see you when I was speaping to you. But here we are. Here. here we are. Here we are. Well it was lovely to see you. Yeah. Have a good night, guys. Terry, what's been your favorite episode? I will ask you that question from my heart. Ooh, my favorite episode. Uh, my favorite episode uh, is um, Amy uh, Amy Simons with the gate. I just yeah. There's something about that episode, and I was I guess I was not expecting. It was probably like our first like I mean, because she's a legit movie star. I mean, she was in yeah. Pet Cemetery, she was in Alien Covenant. So on top of being like this independent director who's making you know some wild, fun independent horror films, she's also in some big studio pictures. And so I think I was really nervous going into that one because I didn't really know what to expect in terms of that, and it was such kind of a it was such a lot of like behind the scenes maneuvering to get that to actually happen yeah that I, we didn't know until we were actually recording whether it was actually going to happen or not so that episode the fact that it just kind of went where it did her dark sense of humor the way she was talking about her her father's ashes and sending them up into space oh my god like a yes. firework. like i was not prepared and then when like there was like dead silence after that and she's like are you guys still there? Cause we were just not prepared for how, how she went. And oh, I just, I, I loved, I loved that episode. Um, so I, I yeah. think honestly, that one was probably my favorite just because of how random it was that it, it happened that way. Yeah. But what about you, Mary Beth? I think it was, 
our episode. I think it was Dean Capsalis who brought Black Christmas, right? Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorites because he brought me to Black Christmas is one of my like all-time favorites now. And so I, you know, I think part of it was the fact that I got to watch Black Christmas, but also like the conversation was amazing. And he's such a nice, kind human. And his movie, The Swerve, is like devastating in the most ridiculous way. So I think that one is one that sticks out primarily because, oh, it's the cat! It's the kitten! It makes an appearance, show and tell time. With my cat. Sorry. <laughs> it's the girl. Bum, 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 bum. Oh, God. <laughs> She's not having it. She's. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, okay, okay. The paparazzi. The paparazzi. She had a fucking moment where she was like, not today, mom. But yeah, that was one of my favorite episodes, I think. I think those episodes where we get to talk about, like, have these incredible discussions about movies is just, like, and especially movies that I don't either hadn't heard of or, like, we're like, oh, this isn't going to be, like, that deep of a conversation. Like, like the Tremors conversation with Matt Monagle. Tremors 2. <laughs> what the fuck was that? Tremors 2? Like, whoever would have thought that we have any kind of, like, in-depth conversation about Tremors 2, Tremors 2 and he came in and brought, brought, the, brought the heat. And it uh-huh. was fucking incredible. So, um, we're being asked for show and tell. Uh, I mean, I've just um, moved and I'm not like, <laughs> I'm still not situated very well in terms of like stuff in um, my room. I have my little, cool. this is fine. <laughs> I have my thing poster and my two masks. This is from Fright Gown, the incredible fest that Joe Lipset, who's not here right now, and Kay from Salem Horror Fest put on over pride month in june and then i bought this this little bitch at um spirit halloween and she guess who scares me every time i leave the room (laughs) that is terrifying the kitten is she staring at it right now no she's not the kitten will stare at the mask sometimes oh geez and i'm like don't do that I have a bunch of stuff, like, behind my camera, like a bunch of art and all, a lot of enam- enamel pins and stuff, too. All of my stuff um, is, like, packed up. But let me – okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what recording in my in my house is like right now because I'm trying to sound dampen. So, like, this is my window. <laughs> I have things hanging there to try to block the sound. I have to the right of me a box that I've draped over shirts on because I'm trying to like, again, dampen the sound. So like my room right now is not exactly, um, horror movie central, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'm getting more and more horror movie central because so Steve is, is a horror person, but he's not as much of a horror person as me, which is like, so he's like a normal person who doesn't want Halloween all the time in the house. So I was like, but I want Halloween all the time. So the office is slowly becoming Halloween all the time. This is my Halloween all the time space. I still have some spooky shit in the living room. Like, it's going to leak out everywhere. Like, our bedroom, <laughs> I have, like, a Scream poster and a Final Girls poster and stuff. So, but yeah. Um. So Justin wants to know where your Matthew Lillard tea comes from. <gasps> Super yucky. It's a crop top. <laughs> and I got... I got the other one that says directed by Wes Craven too. There, they had a bunch of um, a bunch of the Scream ones. Um, I like the credits, so I got Matthew Lillard and Wes Craven. And their spooky collection is coming out next week. Um, 
I can't say anything, but keep an eye out. Just I'll just say that. Keep an eye out on their collection next week for reasons. So, <laughs> mine's just cavity color. My Elvira shirt. It's a good shirt. I love my horror shirt, I, and it's like ever since I got the job at Dread Central, I'm also like, oh cool, now I can really buy horror shirts because it's all like I can. That's all I can wear. Like <laughs> not have to can wear, but it's like oh, I don't have to go into an office setting. <laughs> Like, I'll just wear these fucking shirts in meetings all the time, and everyone will be like, yep, that's about right. So, even more money on horror shirts. I literally have an entire dresser drawer that's overflowing with just horror t-shirts. All I wear is horror t-shirts anymore. I think I need to get rid of a lot of my clothes (laughs) for more horror t-shirts. I literally just (laughs) dropped, like, the most money I've ever dropped on a fucking shirt the other day. I, like, what is wrong with me? But it was, it was an occult shirt. The, the movie oh, I was talking about earlier, yeah, yeah. they will ne- like. I feel like I will never see that again. And of course, someone's gonna make one like in three weeks. That's like even cheaper. But who cares? Because I like the designer. It's just like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Misa, what do you have to say to the people? <laughs> Nothing. Now she wants to be quiet. Now she wants to be quiet. Oh, but actually, I think I saw Matthew ask the question. A bit ago. Oh, yeah. As a first-time listener, I was wondering if there were any previous episodes you would recommend as good starting points or are particularly accessible. Yes. Uh, You know, uh, not – and I'm not saying that just because they're in here, but Andrew's episode on Tales from the Dark Side, the movie, and Justin's episode on Tremors are – really good i think those are really good entry points because it's it's stuff that i think a lot of people have probably seen and they're also just enjoyable episodes uh also amy simons's episode on the gate is again it's my favorite for a reason i love we had an episode with nay um <laughs> now she's being ornery <laughs> so steve is like what the fuck is your problem <laughs> We had an episode with uh, with Nay on um, the people under the stairs, which I think is oh that one was in. She brought a lot of fire to that one. That's a movie you need to. See, everyone needs to see. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it, and I was so again. This podcast has given me an opportunity to really, really like clear some, like fix up some gaps in my horror knowledge. And that was an episode where I was like, "How the fuck?" But I was so glad I hadn't watched it before at the same time because then I got all that fucking like discuss it with Nay and like mm-hmm. and you for the first time and like that was cool as hell. Oh, and there's Josh. Josh, you're in here. Yes, new nightmare with the the spooky butt feelings. <laughs> spooky butt feelings. <laughs> um, and another really good one is um, I think our episode with Jessica Rose is episode 14 where we talk about Jurassic Park, <laughs> and it's because. It's such a it's a it's a mul- it's a kind of example of a movie that is that can be scary for kids, but scared her for such a different reason. And it was so funny to talk to her about her very specific fear of animatronic <laughs> dinosaurs. Yes, and like hear her talk about that trauma and how it's manifested her entire adult life. Like it's so incredible because so many people have such unique experiences. Like. I was here to Jurassic Park, but not in the way Jessica was. And so this this podcast has been such a cool way of seeing, like, it's going to tap into people's, like, psyches and understanding, like, what scares them and how we all experience fear, but in such different ways. And it's just really cool. It's, like, a really just a cool kind of example of the range of what we cover mm-hmm. and just, like, the cool stories that we can really get out of people and what people are willing to share with us. Yeah. Yeah, but Andrew said that he loved Trace's episode and April's episode. 
which is great. And then Justin says Valeska's Secrets of Nim episode. Yes. Trace episode. Yeah. And April Wolf. Yes. April Wolf's episode. I honestly. She the fire. <laughs> I loved talking with April about, because um, she, you know, was, she wrote, um, well, co- co-wrote? Co-wrote, yeah. Co-wrote the, uh, the Black Christmas remake that came out in, when was that, 2019? Was that 2019? Yeah. So I she forgot. Co- uh, yeah. Jesus Christ. What she year She co-wrote is it? that. And we got to talk to her and she was very um, upfront and very uh, candid about her experience writing that movie so super quick and the turn, the time it turned around it took to make that film and then the uh, the response. So she, it was a very candid re- con- a conversation that I was um, I was really happy and surprised that she felt – I felt honored that she would have that conversation with us because yeah. we really didn't expect her to go that deep with it. Yeah. No, it was it was a really incredible conversation, and she is she's an incredible person. So, ooh, Justin, if you switch mediums from film to books for an episode, which text scarred you for life? Oh, that's a good that's a good question. Um, it's not horror, but the text that scarred me for life is, and I've I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Andrew, the Bible, the Bible. Yeah, no, that's terrifying. That's a- <laughs> so the the book that that scarred me for life was dragons of spring dawning which is a dragonlance novel (laughs) because there is a character in it who is this old dwarf and he's through the entire trilogy of books he's just sort of like the grumpy old man of the group and by the final book um he ends up spoiler alert for a 30 year old text he ends up dying from a heart attack not in battle not anything else. His body just gave up on the last quest that they were doing. And it just sort of, he, he died. And I threw that book across the, the room where it sat for another six months before I would finally go back to, to reading it because that book was like, it, it's, and I think I might've mentioned this when we were talking about never ending story, because I would get so invested in books when I was a kid reading them that I would feel like it was my journey. Like I felt I was part of this cadre of people going out to save the world and so one of them one of them died in a completely non-epic way it just devastated me i must have been like 10 or 11 at the time and that just it killed me what about you mary beth um i what the one i would choose is it's actually a short story the boogeyman that was in oh yeah night shift that that is the text that really fucked me up like i read a lot of goosebumps a lot of christopher pike and Stephen King as a kid, but the the Boogeyman was the first Stephen King thing like text to really fuck me up. Um I read The Boogeyman and I I also threw the book across the room <laughs> and started shaking. So yeah, that's the one for me. Well, guys, thank you so much, everyone, for coming and joining in on this weird live stream ride and talking with us and asking us questions. We were like, what if no one comes and shows up? And it's just been really awesome to get to chat with all of you guys. I wish we could have done a little bit more like in person with everyone else. But but thank you, everyone, um, for listening. And So, everybody, um, 
<laughs> You've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. <laughs> what was your experience with Roy and Hereditary? Uh, you can let us know. Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Please. Uh, Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening both live and on on the recorded episode. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. Until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>